Welcome to the Mission Driven Mom podcast. This podcast is for moms just like you who want to learn how to glorify God through finding and embracing true principles, discovering and developing your greatest gifts, and using them to serve your family and community. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Audrey Rinlisbacher, author of The Mission Driven Life and founder of The Mission Driven Mom. So happy you could join me and talk today about some really great content about how we can better love God. We started this series last month. We're going through each of the laws and the principles that are found in my book, The Mission Driven Life, The Seven Laws of Life Mission. And we're on the first law of loving God and developing a divine center in your life. Last time we talked about prayer, and this time we're going to talk about scripture. Now, I wrote an article years ago called Your Standard for Truth, Keeping Your Central Classic at the Center of Your Life. And we actually use this, some of the content from it in the MDM Academy. I'm going to share some concepts from that article and some things that have helped me in my own scripture reading. But this idea of calling it a central classic, I think is really key because we want a divine center. And that means we must be centered on God and being centered on truths that are above us and beyond us is really so critical. We live in a world that's all about my truth and your truth and truth is seen as subjective. We're gonna talk in a future podcast about this idea of every idea, every goal, every mission, every purpose being equally valid and how they're just not, but it's presented that way to try to be inclusive and make everybody feel good. We are moral beings. We talked about this at our event last year. And um, actually those videos are gonna be being released soon. And you can purchase the content from our event on Mothers of Discernment from 2019. So that's super exciting. But at that event, we talked about the fact that because we have a sense of right and wrong, we're all moral beings and we make judgments. We are forced to make judgments. We are just, it's just like eating, sleeping, or drinking. We judge because we have the sense of right and wrong. And we're always trying to connect what's right and what's wrong. And it gives us a sense of balance and um, inner peace and security when we know we're doing what's right. And that means we have to know what's right, which means we have to make judgments. Now, a central classic becomes a key, it takes a a central place in our lives because it becomes a, a critical source of absolute truth. And it nourishes us by giving us guidelines by which to make these moral judgments that we're going to keep making. It teaches certain doctrines as moral truths, and then it shows through usually story and allegory and um, fable and all of those kinds of things, examples of men and women living or not living according to the moral code presented, and then the, the consequences in their lives. And so this idea that we need a central classic in order to be centered in God is so absolutely critical. And, you know, like I said in last week's podcast, when we were talking about feminism, my frame of reference is the West. It's the Judeo-Christian tradition. 
the Bible, the Old and New Testaments have been the core books for that tradition for thousands of years. And it's the concepts and the truths, the moral codes and values presented in those books that have been the center of Western civilization, man and women's attempt to live according to what's taught there and the story of when they fall short and when they rise to the occasion. And of course, the Bible is full of those stories um, of, of men and women attempting to do that. I want to talk about a few things in conjunction with this idea of a central classic and being centered on that so that there is a law higher than us. Many governments, many constitutions are an attempt to bring everyone, including the governmental leadership, in compliance with laws higher than all people. And if there are laws higher than all people, if even someone like Mao or Stalin has to live according to certain laws, the same as everybody else, then nobody's above the law, then the next question becomes, then what is that law? What is the source of that law that we're all under? There must be something higher than us that generates a law that is higher than us that we're all subject to from which we draw this code of morality. And so we're attempting to bring our leadership into subjection to laws that we feel in subjection to, and we need a source for those laws. We, our consciences are helpful. Our common sense is helpful. Our reason is helpful. Our experiences are helpful. Education is helpful. But a central classic with which you can glean truths and then live them and then watch the results, which I'll talk about in a little bit, is so absolutely critical to having this solid foundation and this center. And so I tell lots of stories about the 10 booms on this podcast. <laughs> I just want to mention a couple examples from their life because their commitment to the Bible exemplifies what you will feel and what you will experience when your central classic really is at the center of your life. When Corey was incarcerated, the only thing that she wanted, it's fascinating because she goes to the doctor and there's a nurse who's sympathetic to her cause and they come into the bathroom. She draws Corey into the bathroom really quick and says, quickly, what can I get you? And the first thing that comes to Corey's mind is a Bible. There's a million things that she could have asked for that this nurse might have been able to secure for her, but she wanted a Bible. And she's able to get her four Gospels. She reads those, consumes those, and then she believes that she needs to share them out so that others can have this in prison. She shares them out one by one as she feels prompted to. When she gives away the last one, she gets a visit from her sister. Her sister gives her a small compact Bible on a necklace she can hang around her neck. She, of course, was raised on the Bible. They read it every day in their home, but she talks about consuming it. She says, like a starving man, I gulped it down. She just needed that spiritual nourishment, that hope, that um, truth that is it was on those pages. And so then she is, they're going in the concentration camp, they're being put in, and a miracle happens. She asks God to help protect this Bible, and she's able to hide it in the bathroom, and no one touches her as she goes through the line. You see a situation where she is literally putting her life on the line. If someone catches her with this Bible, especially walking through into the concentration camp, they would at least have beat her, if not killed her. 
She's literally risking her life for this Bible. She's spending all her time studying it, trying to understand it. Now she's in a situation where she can spend all her time. I'm not saying that's necessarily something we can do or should do, but it's very central to what she believes and how she thinks and what she believes is right and wrong. But it's also the first thing that comes to her mind when she thinks of what her needs are. And it's something that she would risk her life for. Now the same is true of, of, of the Jewish nation Alfred Kolach wrote about the Torah and he said what made it possible for this relatively brief book to achieve such a high level importance for the Jewish people how did one book come to be so revered that Jews in every century have been willing to sacrifice their lives rather than violate its teachings that's a super important question it's really really true that when it's actually your center you'll risk even your life for it it's the book that gives your life meaning, why you're on earth, where you'll go after death. It governs the choices that you make. It tells you what's real. And to you, it is the truth. And so there's an argument that technically, I guess, could be made. Some people say that not all central classics, not all religious texts are created equal. And that is, I'm sure, true. Some may contain more truth than others. And so it's our responsibility then to be on the hunt for the central classic that contains the greatest level of truth with which to guide our lives. My son had a conversation recently with some other young adults and they were talking about, you know, their faith, their loss of faith, their personal struggles spiritually. And they were saying, you know, you can convince yourself of anything. They even said, you could even get involved in a satanic cult and be convinced that it's right. And my son's rebuttal was really profound and insightful because he said, well, maybe you could be convinced of its truth temporarily, but then you just have to watch the fruits. That's counsel that many wise and great leaders have given, including Jesus, <laughs> that by your fruits, you shall know them. And that's what we really want to look for in the central classic in our lives. What are its fruits? Do we have greater peace? Do we feel closer to God? Do we feel greater um, clarity? Do we find greater truths with which to guide our lives? Do we look at the fruits of this and in the lives of other people? What fruits does it bring about in their lives? What kind of leadership is there? What kind of men and women does it predominantly produce? And we want to judge the scripture that we develop our lives around. First, it's very important to have a central classic. And secondly, it's very important to, to submerse ourselves in it, to know what's in it, to do our best to live its teachings and to watch for the fruits. And we can watch from a distance, those that cling to that, what happens in their lives, the people who really best live it. You know, lots of examples are given, for example, about the Bible and how Oh, so many people did so many bad things in the name of religion. Well, that's true, but that's not really the point. The point is what happens to people who most closely adhere to what's taught and not just a stray verse now and again that seems maybe kind of disjointed or out of place, maybe where there was something uh, that we misunderstand culturally or in translation or whatever. But when you look at the big picture of the key principles that are taught, what happens to the lives of people who live closely 
to, to what's taught predominantly in that scripture. That's what you want to be looking for. Now, in Western history, of course, we know that the Bible played a huge role in the Judeo-Christian ethic and foundation, and there's lots of cool things that we could get into around that. But I want to quote you something from Jack Barzin, who talks about the Bible in particular. It was the most read book during the first 150 years of the United States existence. And this is what Jack Barzin had to say about the critical role that the Bible has played in Western history, especially American history. And if we see American history as the triumph of important key ideas and principles, we can trace many of those back to the Bible. In fact, it was the most quoted book at the Constitutional Convention. And they weren't just quoting it for nice, fun ideas. They were actually looking at the governmental and economic principles taught in it and and citing those. And so that's really critical, I think, too. So this is what Jack Barson said. The Bible is a whole literature, a library. It was an anthology, anthology of poetry and short stories. It taught history, biography, biology, geography, philosophy, political science, psychology, hygiene, and sociology, statistical at that, in addition to cosmogony, ethics, and theology. He goes on to say, with the Bible, most often the only book in the house kept in a place of honor and with its first blank pages containing the family records, names, dates of birth, marriage, and death, came the practice of family prayers three or four times a day besides grace at meals. And it was natural that father or grandfather read a story from scripture to the assembled clan, servants included, and the feelings aroused should be summed up in the Lord's prayer or some other appropriate to the moment. When secularism came to prevail, Bible reading disappeared among the majority and the background of ideas and illusions common to all. This created a real bond in society, key ideas and themes and concepts and values that were very uh, binding to to America. And again, (laughs) what happens so often when I try to bring up American history in today's culture is that people want to give grief about, you know, slavery and all of that, that's with the understanding that slavery was clearly wrong and should not have been in place. And in fact, it was Lincoln himself who believed that it was God's vengeance that caused the Civil War and that it was because of all the sins of previous generations who would not comply voluntarily. And so a war ensued to bring that about. That aside, The Bible had a a tremendous positive influence for um, so many people. And and of course, the American Constitution brought about revolutions and greater freedom in many places in the world as well. James Madison said, The Holy Scripture is to me and will always be the constant guide of my ascent, and I shall always hearken to it as containing the infallible truth relating to things of highest concernment. And I shall presently condemn and quit any opinion of mine as soon as I am shown that it is contrary to revelation in the Holy Scripture. So, of course, we know James Madison wrote the Constitution. His life um, was really never touched by the slightest breath of scandal. He was morally upright all his life, had a very happy marriage, was a devoted and faithful husband, a patriot, generous, sympathetic, honorable statesman known for his honesty and integrity. And he said that if someone could show him that something that he believed to be true 
was contrary to the teachings of the Bible, he would quit his opinion and go with what the Bible said. We uh, have some letters from John Quincy Adams to his son that we spend a little time on in uh, the MDM Academy also that go back to this idea that the Bible is so rich in its ability to teach history and literature as well as morals and values. And it's so incredible to watch the lives of men and women as they strive to live its precepts or ignore them. They saw the laws of nature taught throughout the pages in early America, and it created a healthy government and social stability. They saw how prosperity or decay followed as the lessons of the Bible were ignored or lived personally and societally. So we want this central classic. We want to guide our lives according to it. We want to see that it has good fruits in the lives of others and in our own life. We want to look for the true principles that it contains and live according to those. And the number one reason we want to do this is so that we don't always just defer to however we're feeling at the time. John Quincy Adams, and I don't have it with me here, but he said something really profound to his son. He said, if you don't have principles to govern your behavior, you will just act however you feel and your life will be totally governed by your emotions and it will it will be messy and he said that the place where you can find the best concentration of true principles is in the bible so he that these letters were teaching his son how to study the bible and use them in his life now one of the things that we do wrong with scripture is to rest the scriptures. The scriptures talk that about this word. It really means, an ancient Greek word means to twist or distort. So we could twist or distort the scriptures by going into them looking for only specific things. The Bible was used to justify slavery uh, in America for a long time. That was twisting and distorting, taking two or three little verses, teaching them from the pulpit and and not looking at true natural law and not trying to find the truth. We uh, also mistreating it. So doing that same kind of thing where you twist or distort the truth in such a way as to try to manipulate people, to try to get your own way, to try to get away with bad behavior of your own and uh, not harmonizing its teachings with your daily practices, not trying to live in harmony with the most important principles that are taught there. So what we want to do is go into scripture with an honest heart, try to teach the key elements that it's, that it's uh, try to live the key elements it's teachings and have the, it's the fruits in our lives. As we finish up here, I just want to talk to you, uh, I just want to give some recommendations for studying scripture reading scripture so often it's just a, like a open it up run through beginning to end definitely you don't need to use scripture that way there's so many rich things that you can do in scripture the first thing i recommend is that if you've not read it all the way through read it all the way through and the next thing that you can do is learn the stories the stories are what we remember most all the times that I teach writing and public speaking and that I've been taught it, there's a huge emphasis on tell stories, tell stories, tell, tell stories. So learn the stories about the heroes, try to emulate those great men and women that are on those pages and live the way that they lived. 
there's a spectrum of right and wrong. Some things are more wrong and some things are more right. So you want to become familiar with this spectrum of right and wrong and begin to better understand right and wrong. You can also consider scripture from all these different areas that I mentioned in the Barzin quote, the government, the economics, the history, the science, the math. I mean, scripture really came to life for me when it was pointed out to me that it did contain principles of government and economics and health. And it was just so, so eye-opening. I just had no idea. And it was really refreshing and so fun to go in and look at those. You can memorize favorite quotes and sections. You can look for the poetry, especially the imagery, symbolism, and archetypes. The poetic elements that are in scripture are really, really cool to look for. And you can study them in conjunction with with the historical culture. Uh, I mean, historical context, the culture, who the author was, why that makes a difference, where they were living, what was going on around them at the time. And most importantly, look for the natural consequences to the to the laws and principles that are presented. Look at what happens to the li- to the lives of those that, that live or don't live those principles. Look for principles in all areas of life. Look for the rights and, and how they're honored or dishonored. And make your scripture reading really come to life. I don't have time to get into it right now, but the very last thing I would recommend for you is to use the five types of questions. I have podcasts on it. We'd study it extensively in the, in the MDM Academy. It's so important. There's five types of questions. What, why, principle, interdisciplinary, and application. I highly recommend that you, especially in your family scripture reading, you take those one by one and you start with, you read it and then you ask what so you understand it. You ask why so you know the meaning of it. You look for principles. You connect the principles to other things in life, in history, in in your lives, and then you look for ways you're going to apply those principles. Those five types of questions help in all reading and learning. They help in life. They especially help in scripture reading to get a handle on what you've read and to glean and pull those principles out and have the ability to live those. I want to end with this beautiful quote by Casper uh, Ten Boom, Corey Ten Boom's father. It's in the Mission Driven Life in those pages where I talk about them. He says, one day in heaven, we will have complete insight and knowledge, but here below, we have to grasp many things without fully understanding them. We have to make a clear choice between man's scientific criticism and the declaration it is written. And that from a man who truly had a central classic and was devoted to it, and it shaped and molded his life, which was one of immense and tremendous good in his home, in his community, and across the world, the his goodness centered on the on on the bible resonates throughout the world still today he was a very intelligent well-educated man who understood history in depth and who understood science in depth and and when science came into conflict with what he knew to be true in scripture he went with what god said and that's our mandate that's our challenge and that's our joy to put a central classic at the central of our lives to help us to be have that divine center that we so desperately need. Dive into your scripture, make it a daily routine and activity, and watch how your life becomes a happier, more joyful, more faithful, more hopeful, more happy life. Thank you so much for joining me. Please go join the Mission Driven Mom Mastermind Facebook group for the after the podcast discussion and other Facebook lives and things that I do there so that we can get to know you and you can be pu- become 
part of this incredible community of moms that we're building. See you next time.